0: All facing challenges with this pandemic, but imagine being in a place where you didn't understand the language totally and going through all the information. We think we are sending out a lot of good information about uh, what's going on at school, and most of the time we do try to translate that information. But being able to talk to someone. In that native language, I think really helps our parents to connect with school and connect with our staff. So we made sure that we had plenty of translators at every station from kindergarten to 12th grade to, to make sure if anybody needed help in that area, they received that help. Hello, my name is Adrian Johnson. I'm the superintendent of schools at Hearn ISD in Hearn, Texas. I've been in education for 40-plus years, and it's a great opportunity for me to work with young people in this rural community. I'm looking forward to visiting with you here today.
1: Great. Well, Dr. Adrian Johnson, it's really a pleasure to have you on our first installment with you of the In This Together series. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, so let's start with, uh, you're, you're the superintendent, so you've had a lot of really big decisions to make over the last uh, few months. Um, I want to start by asking, do you all have a plan in place uh, for the start of the 2021 school year at this point?
0: Yes, we do. We, you know, this pandemic caught us all off guard last spring. We were on spring break, enjoying life and everything was going well. And then all of a sudden this pandemic hit us in Hearn as well as around the state and around the country and around the world. And we had to make a lot of adjustments at that time. As we finished out that year, we finished strong. We uh, had the ability to serve quite a few meals to our students and get quite a few learning packets and information to our kids and, and used our technology to help them finish the year strong. This summer, we've been planning for this pandemic and planning for a strong start this year. So yes, we do have a plan, and we call it Start Strong, Finish Stronger. And we're putting it in place right now with our staff and with our students and parents. and the community as a, a great support. It's been a great support for us as well.
1: So what does it look like? Is it is it starting remotely? Or are you all going to be in person, or is it a hybrid situation to start?
0: Well, we're going to start remotely. The state has given us about four weeks where we have that option and an additional four weeks if we feel like we need more time. As you all quite are aware that, it's just been very difficult to predict the path of this virus and how much the spread is going to be at a given time. Right now, we're confident that we can start school on August 17th, but we'll start online. But what we're doing is trying to contact our parents individually and stay connected with them to try to meet their specific needs. Because I you know it's been a while since the children have been in school, plus they've had them all summer. So we really want to know what's going on with the children and the family and what can we do to support them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's been a common theme. I feel like family engagement uh, is being put in the spotlight, and rightly so. There's there's no more important time than now to make sure that you're connecting with families. And you mentioned community um, earlier. Aside from families, which is obviously a key component, what had what been the sort of key considerations um, in your planning and really kind of honing in on making sure that all your students, including English learners, have uh, equitable access to the services and instruction that they need, you know, regardless of how you're coming back, whether you start remotely or, or, you know, turn into sort of a face-to-face situation?
0: Well, it all begins with communication with the parents and with the students and building on the relationships we had prior to the pandemic hit. Uh, hitting us. So we're working real hard to make sure that we're finding a way to communicate with our parents. And then once we have that established, we want to know what their needs are when it comes to technology. Obviously, we used as much technology as we could during the spring semester to stay connected with our parents. But we're actually purchasing more technology now. And we've been surveying our parents and seeing what their needs are, not only what type of devices do they need in their home, but what type of uh, Hotspots they might need to help them get good internet service. So, those are the kind of questions we're asking them at this time. And because some of our parents and families live in rural areas, we already know that it's going to be difficult for them to have devices there that could work consistently for them. So, there we're asking can we possibly load up information? They call it asynchronous learning where we download information onto computers and let them use that to help their students stay connected. And eventually we will try to bring them into school and some learning centers if they don't have connections in their homes.
1: Yeah, you know, you brought up two things that I think are really important. Number one, it's just great to have your perspective at a rural district. I think you know we really wanted to make sure that we got a variety of districts and having you involved at EARN. Um, and the unique challenges that I think rural districts face um, are are key to to sort of to put out there. The other thing that I think is, um, is 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 important because people are learning this vocabulary. You call it asynchronous. You know, we're talking a lot about synchronous and asynchronous. Those have become, I think, kind of you know uh, uh, terms that people know about now. Whereas before, perhaps they didn't. So as we refer to asynchronous and synchronous, folks will be following along now. Whereas maybe last year they uh, they wouldn't. So you know, it sounds like you're you're planning for. Um, you know, making sure that families are involved, making sure that you get that technology out to to people. And I'm sure that that's, you know, last spring gave you the opportunity to have some good learning experiences about how you might do that. Well, what is top of mind for you right now? I mean, we're uh, almost in the second week of August here, things are starting soon. I hope nothing is keeping you up at night. But if there were one thing that you would say is really has you concerned a challenge that you're trying to overcome right now, what would it be?
0: Well, the concern I have is even with the best plan to use technology uh, in the home, for parents as we start the school year, we know, and especially for all of our students, and especially for our EL students, they need that verbalization, they need that relationship, they need to be in school where we're all benefiting from the verbal exchange and, and language development in school. Also, our very young children need that opportunity to be around other children and in the school setting learning from a teacher in a live setting obviously the older students can benefit more from technology because their foundation is already in place but for the students that were trying to establish a foundation in their language development as well as in their early developmental uh, ages we really need to see them in person So that's what's keeping me up at night is trying to see how quickly and safely for our staff and our students that we can start bringing students back into school, into the school setting. So they can get the total experience of learning from the language development, from the social, emotional development and relationships you have and the live teaching from our teaching staff
1: yeah you know as a former high school teacher myself I, I it can't it took me I think too long if I'm being honest to realize the importance of social emotional and establishing relationships and really understanding that you know you're not going to get far uh, as an educator if your students don't have some kind of relationship with you and they don't trust you um, and I think you know with, with the younger kids I taught high school that's even even more important that social presence and and obviously your main goal, and I think everybody's main goal, it sounds like, is to get students back in school you know, where they belong and where they can really do those things together. As you start remotely, and I'm really trying to think specifically about English learners here through the equity lens or even all sort of vulnerable student populations, how do you think you're going to go about establishing those relationships or teachers are going to go about establishing those relationships with students uh, as you start remotely and online?
0: Well, we're actually already doing that even before we get started, because we're asking all of our parents to re-enroll their children this year, because we want to make sure that they're still with us and see if there's any special needs. And we just left a staff meeting yesterday and we talked about that specific issue. I think it affects all of our students, but certainly helps the EL. And I actually witnessed this in action with a lot of our, few of our parents and students just the other day when I was visiting one of our, registration centers where we had the social distancing take place and we made sure that we had plenty of individuals in the room that could handle the translation for our parents. And many of our EL parents that came up, they were greeted in their native language. They had a chance to visit with people in their language and get a chance to communicate and understand the system a lot better. It's, it's, we're all facing challenges with this pandemic, but imagine being in a place where you didn't understand the language totally and going through all the information. We think we're sending out a lot of good information about uh, what's going on at school, and most of the time we do try to translate that information. But being able to talk to someone in that native language, I think really helps our parents to connect with the school and connect with our staff. So we made sure that we had plenty of translators at every station from kindergarten to 12th grade to, to make sure if anybody needed help in that area, they received that help. The other thing we talked about doing is once we get into the actual school year, on Sundays, and is why it's so important that we get good contact information, we want staff to call the parents to kind of help them prepare for the week in advance. Oh, I love that idea. Just utilizing the Zoom or whatever the method of instruction they've chosen to just start on Monday. And one of our administrators suggested that and the whole staff really liked that idea. And it doesn't take a lot to just communicate with parents to give them a little bit of a heads up of what to expect for the next week. And that helps build that relationship with them and help them feel more prepared for what they need to do to help their students stay engaged during the weeks to come.
1: Yeah, I took two things out of that, what you just said, and there was a lot there, and I I encourage people to listen again, because I think you have a lot of great ideas. You know, you talk about the ability to actually meet with people uh, in a safe, socially distanced way, but I think what you're doing is you're really maximizing that time. You know, we all really don't have the opportunity to do that as much as we'd like, so when you do have those opportunities, maximizing it by having translators who are greeting people, who are treating them with respect, who are not only giving them information, but I think establishing a human connection goes a long way, and that certainly trickles down from parent to student. Um, and, and so, I think that's 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 crucially important. And um, you know, the other piece that you were uh, mentioning there was just the ability to, I think, you know, in some ways, just be a little bit flexible in terms of how you go about doing it. I mean, having those translators um uh in place is is great but you know those those people i feel like uh are going to be able to they're going to have to probably provide a lot of different um services that are more in some in some ways more sort of um emotional for 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 parents than others um and use utilizing the phone you know uh, that idea of having uh sundays a, a time where to just call and check in with parents uh, and and students i think is great as well so I yeah I mean I think you know it's, it's some of this seems relatively simple but like the idea of having FaceTime is so um, it just doesn't happen a lot these days that just maximizing that I think becomes uh, becomes crucially important.
0: Well, we have to show parents and our students and our community that we can manage this virus effectively until the country gets to a point to where we have vaccines and and get through this phase. And we know enough about social distancing, proper hygiene practices, mask wearing, facial shields wearing, gloves, all the things that we can do to manage and exist with this in this environment. And so by doing the things we're doing in beginning stages, It gives them more confidence when they finally have to have the opportunity for their children to come to school. And so uh, we're not locking ourselves into four weeks, three weeks. We're taking it day to day. And so we want to know if you're a parent and you can't continue to work because you can't leave your child at home. We want to hear from you. We want to know about that now because maybe we can do something to help you out, even though we're actually virtual and remotely teaching right now. But in these difficult times, there's gonna be some difficult situations. And we wanna make sure that we give our parents a chance to at least talk to us and see if we can help them find a workable solution. So we had a few students whose parents needed to go to work they don't mind the virtual learning, but they don't want to leave their children home. We mm-hmm. can create learning centers in our school where they still can do the virtual work. They're just doing it at our school and we should have available staff to help monitor them. Those are the situations we want to start looking at once we get school started. We don't want parents to sit there and struggle for a month with issues like I've just described. And us not at least listen to what the problem is and see if we can find a workable solution.
1: Yeah, and that that brings me to another another question I have. You know, it sounds like you you said take things day by day, but it also sounds like you're kind of in some ways sort of testing the waters by having an event like the one you described where you have translators, but in a sort of smaller scale, maybe you're outside, everybody's wearing masks. It definitely gives confidence and it probably gives you an idea of where some of the holes might be that you need to patch up as moving forward if there are any. So that brings me to my question, like how, you know, you have a plan in place, you said you're not sort of going to pigeonhole yourselves into one sort of time frame. It sounds like you're ready to pivot if you need to. Um, talk to us about sort of one, how you feel about having to possibly change direction midstream in the middle of this entire thing if something changes. Um, and what plans in place you have, in if any, to sort of make those changes happen if you need to do something Drastic, Like the kids come to school and then you have to go back to remote learning.
0: The, the greatest thing we have going for us this year is the experience we had last spring. Yeah. We pivot quite a bit because when we first heard about the virus and we were on spring break and we were thinking we would be out for another week. Yeah. I, remember, so I know the feeling. Our date for March the 23rd, we'll be back in school. And then it went a little bit longer and then longer. And so, We learned to pivot then and we moved to the technology uh, level of instruction that I think we're going to start with this year. And I think that's one of the key factors that will help us pivot. In the worst case scenario, that we have to stay remote in our teaching. We have nearly purchased, we will have enough devices that every home, if you have internet access or need a hotspot, we'll have that for you, we'll have a device to work from. The only places in some of the rural areas, no matter where your cell phone won't even work, that's where we may have to load up devices with things that they can still use but not be able to depend on the internet. So we're ready for the more difficult situation this year. We're more prepared this year than we were last year. The state has helped us by purchasing a learning management system, but we had already purchased it ourselves. So we're gonna have a much stronger platform to communicate with students and the families through technology than we had before. So we're prepared for the most difficult situation and we can certainly work backwards from that setting to more hybrid models. Uh, We know it is a lot easier to work with the older students uh, in person sometimes it is with the younger students because they don't truly understand social distancing like we can at the upper level. So that's how we're working. We're ready to pivot both directions. We're ready to pivot to get students back into on-campus instruction as the opportunity exists, and we're ready to pivot to stay remote more effectively if the situation calls for that.
1: Yeah, great. I mean, I can't, you know, ask that question to everybody, but I can't imagine a greater pivot than the one we all experienced in March. And, you know, everybody tells the same story. Oh, it's March 13th. We're think we're going to come back next week. And then a, another week goes by and another week goes by. And then you realize, oh, this might be, you know, and then you get the call that it's going to be the school year. I mean, I experienced that as a parent, um, sort of as a professional doing this as well. But it's just amazing to see, you know, quite frankly, oftentimes as a teacher myself for a long time, you didn't really have to pivot unless you really wanted to. You know that forced sort of entry into, you know, drastic change and and, and, being, and having to use different things. It really, I think, has opened some minds. And I'm I'm always looking for silver linings. But um, but I think you're right. I th- and I hope you're right that the that that experience will um, not only help you but other districts as well make a change if need be.
0: Well, even just as, even though we had to pivot to to go remote, we also had the experience last year with graduation. Our graduation was set up for May the 29th. And many schools, and I don't blame them, you know, tried to move their date back to further in June or July, or even moved as far back in August, but we stayed with the 29th. And we just, one thing that we did learn in during that time of pivoting is you have to do a lot of planning. And we learned how to plan very effectively for whatever the situation might call for. And ultimately, we ended up having one of the most beautiful graduation you'd ever want to see on the football field, gorgeous day, parents cooperated, students cooperated. We had to limit the number in attendance, but it was a wonderful ceremony and it was a live in-person ceremony. So we know we can manage our students and our community and our parents if we plan well. And that's the same thing we're applying to the school year. So we're not just gonna be comfortable with being remote. We're also planning for in-person instruction as soon as we can start making that happen safely for our staff and for our students.
1: Yeah, and I have to add, I mean, well, first of all, it's great that you were able to have that graduation. That's amazing for those students, I'm sure. And then, uh, you know, the the other thing that that I was gonna mention is, you know, the, the planning that has to take place I mean, people are going to be relieved that they have time, and they have had time to plan because it was such a shock, you know, when that happened that there was really no time to plan. You're talking about mid March for the rest of the school year, um so you had to really plan pretty quickly. And now it must feel, in some ways, that you have. I mean, yeah there's a lot to do, obviously, but in some ways that you have a lot of time and and, and energy to do that.
0: Yeah, and the planning goes both directions uh, in the spring. We were planning how to be more effective working remotely and how to take care of our students. We fed our students during that time. We fed the many students in the community during that time. We probably served over 40,000 meals with our food service department yeah. from March to the uh, end of June. It was an amazing uh, feat for our, our child nutrition department to handle that many meals out every day. And they that was a grab-and go process. So they really did a wonderful job in taking care of all the families that they possibly could take care of with our, our feeding program. But that planning was to planning to go to remote. We pretty much feel we, we were ready to go remote but we also got a plan now to come back yeah <laughs> kind but of ironic. that's the planning is and, and so we just can't come back like from spring break. We have to come back now with, how did the students get on the bus? Well, they get on the bus with the temperature check first. They have to sit every other seat. They can only sit together the families. We're gonna be asking our parents, if at all possible, if you could bring your children to school to help cut down on the number of students riding the buses, that would be a tremendous asset to us to keep us from having to run so many routes so we can continue to do social distancing on the bus. We're gonna move our pickup level range out more so more parents will be asked to bring their students to school that live closer to the school. And then once we get there, how we manage it, even though we're going to be open for business, we'll still have to make sure that staff and students are prepared to come to work and come to school and meet all the criteria that the CDC says they must Adhere to to be in the presence of school and others and then the social distancing within the school We are all our classrooms are set up with about 15 students per classroom And so we're ready for it, but it's going to be a lot different than it was in the past
1: Yeah And and that also is going to breed some innovation and some ideas just like the remote learning has. And I think the schools that go back first, boy, well, we're going to learn a tremendous amount uh, From them as they as they begin to to go back to in person so let me ask you about this uh, this idea of of best practices. I think you know teachers, educators sort of rely on best practices as they plan for new school years, as they plan for new scenarios, as they plan units, et cetera. I think the prevailing wisdom is right now, um and I, i'd li- I'd like you to feel free to challenge this if you feel like you should, uh, is that there are no best practices right now because uh, you know, we're going remote. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we're going hybrid. Maybe we're going back. But like you said, it's not going to be the same. So do you think that best practices still exist or we have to sort of create new ones for this new situation here? And I'd like—I I'd love it if you could tailor that sort of specifically to focusing on English learners and other kind of vulnerable student populations.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I will take a different uh, perspective on that. i I was discussing this with some colleagues yesterday. Uh, you know, we're the educational system that we've been using over the last century has come out of the industrial agricultural system. Even the calendar has been set up that way. Now all of a sudden, because of this pandemic, we've been pushed into the technology revolution. And you and others in the, in the corporate world, I would say that, well, we've been using technology for years. So I'm, I'm not as concerned about the way we're being pushed or the way we're moving to educate children. I think what is happening is we were already headed that direction with technology. We're just getting there faster now. And so I believe our systems will be in place and with the support of groups who work and target our EL students with different programs can now help us enrich their learning beyond just the old traditional classroom setting. Here today, we're talking from different parts of the country, but yet this could be engaging lessons for EL students to be learning from someone remotely. It doesn't Inhibit your ability to learn, it actually increases your ability to learn. Yes, we want to still have that in person interaction, but what better system to start putting devices in all of our students' hands? EL students, students from low and poverty situations will have something in their hand that can help that learning continue beyond the classroom. So I'm taking them, and we're taking a much more positive attitude. We think it's important now. We think it's actually uh, an achievement for us to be able to offer the coursework that we're offering remotely. So let's say we're back in school and someone is sick, just a cold and doesn't want to be at work. So we've got all these scenarios where, oh, well, you can still be in school. Here's the device, you can sit here at home and you can be watching your teacher and your classmates right there from home. Whereas in the past, we just said, you know, the kid could be home playing the video game or, you know, watching TV, but now they can actually still stay engaged. So we should never abandon what we've learned from this pandemic and learn from the use of technology. It should just help us to grow stronger in the future. And especially for our EL students, because you're talking about language development. Yes, it's great when I can sit there in the classroom and work with the student and build that language, but it is even more powerful when they can go home and practice on a device that is loaded with great educational materials to help them learn, their learning to to continue. Because sometimes, as we talked about, the need for translators may mean that the home may not be as fluid as English as the device will be, and they can continue to practice off of the device. Uh, I think that's gonna be a, 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 a positive growth out of this negative situation.
1: Yeah, I mean so the goals are the same, right? To get the students to make progress, just how we get there might be different. And and as you mentioned, you know, we're we're going a lot faster than than we sort of planned on or we thought we would, but that might be okay as long as we we manage it uh, the right way. And I'll also add that not only could you, you know, be at home and watching your class, but if that if that material is recorded and used and it's relevant and evergreen, it's always there for you. You know, you can always I mean I tinkered with flipped classroom when I was in teaching in in high school in the early days of that whole thing. And I just found it to be a great way for students to review when they were out or just to say, hey, you missed class the other day. Here's the lesson that I put up, you know, and uh, and and using that, I don't want to get too far astray from from the topic, but using that class time, not as sort of a stage in the, on the stage approach, giving the information, but allowing, really giving some great practice and allowing time for formative assessment. And I just wonder if, as we sort of sprinkle in more and more FaceTime, if that's going to become more of the model, I would be I would be really uh, happy to see that, you know, have sc- the school time and the time with teachers uh, be more sort of uh, activity-centered and student-centered. I think we're going that direction anyway, but certainly, as you mentioned, this is uh, amplifying that.
0: I think so. I think one of the things that I noticed just in a casual observation, when this pandemic hit, uh, many of the colleges, universities just flipped the switch, said, right, we're, we're going virtual they are going remote. They yep. never missed a beat. Many programs are set up for online learning, all the way for your whole degree path. I'm not advocating that for our our young children, but I'm saying that is certainly something we can learn from and build off of as we work through this pandemic and beyond. What I don't want to, what we will not do, we will not collect all the devices back once the pandemic is over everybody has a vaccine. Right. So, give me your device, and here's your pencil and paper. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have a blended approach to this, and we're going to benefit from the experience of learning how to build these platforms and create these engaging lessons online, and then still maintain that connection when we're back in live, in person classes.
1: So I, I, w- I will say that for someone who I was teaching, I was on a teaching team at a, at a graduate class at the Harvard Graduate School of Education this spring when this happened. And I will tell you that it w- it w- we did flip a switch, but it was not without some pain and some difficulty. <laughs> and ironically, the teaching team that, I, that I'm on is called Connected Teaching in the Digital Age. And it's all about online learning and flipped learning. And still for us, I mean, there were huge hurdles, huge challenges. So, uh, you know, nobody has it all figured out. Um, and if you're watching, by the way, and you see somebody in the background jumping in a trampoline, this is uh, this is real life. Dr. Johnson's uh, background is, is far better than mine, but uh, but that's. This is how it is these days
0: <laughs> you, know, uh, you, you, you shouldn't apologize for feeling pain if you were going to Harvard. you're supposed to feel pain in Harvard.
1: yeah well That's just to far. the kids t- 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 boy it was uh it was it was a struggle, but I think that illustrates you know even the people who are sort of experts at this you, you're not gonna you you're you have to give yourself grace and you have to sort of figure it out together and be vulnerable and understand that hey like we're all kind of in this together um one thing that mm-hmm. I really oh go ahead sorry
0: I just want to be proactive in our thinking I don't want to – I, I want to start looking more to the future and, and the systems we're building we're just doing it faster than we had a planned to plan to build.
1: Yeah, yeah, proactive is a great way to put it. Um, one thing that I want to get to before we, before we sign off here uh, is, you know, I feel like there are some sort of, there's a, there's a reality of what's going on with folks like you who are school leaders uh, and then maybe there's some myths of sort of what's going on in the media and what people are hearing about. I mean, all, all I'm hearing about now uh, or at least over the last week or two has been about what is school going to look like when it reopens. And there's a lot of kind of press out there, good and bad. Um, but I'd love to be able to separate the reality f- from the myth. So I guess what I'm asking you is, do you see anything sort of in the media or that's coming out of the news that you look at and say that's just not the truth. That's not my experience as a school leader. Um If so, you know, what is that and and what is what is the reality of look like for for people like you?
0: Well, I will not want to say there's, I'm seeing something that, that is not true or, or dealing with as a myth. I, my, my, when I watch the news, I, I, I watch a lot to stay on top of what's happening in our area and around the state. I am, I watch to see how people are handling the issue of coming back to school. I think we've, I've, I've heard too many people try to schedule around the virus. And you just can't do that. We have to have current information to make a good decision about what to do today. Uh, the issue of calendar, when do we start at school? I'm going to keep calendar on my agenda every month that I meet with our board, every week that we meet with our staff, and keep communicating with our parents about the calendar, because we just can't control how this virus might affect us. Down the road, if the things we've learned, there's one thing we've learned is that we just don't know when the peaks are going to come and when the when it's going to flatten out and when it's going to drop. We just don't know. We know if we keep doing the right things, it might happen quicker, but if people keep doing the wrong things, it's going to take us longer to get there. So when we look at our schedule, I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i telling my staff to keep the month of June shaded right now because we may have to go longer to get the school year in. So we want to make sure our parents know and our staff know that we're going to have to be flexible this year. Uh, because once we start having school, we're going to monitor these students very carefully and our staff very carefully to make sure we don't do anything that is unsafe for them and for their families. So that's what I watch more than anything else. Uh, I don't I don't get into the uh, the political side of this issue. I, I just focus I, I, I think we need to have children in school. So I think we a lot of us agree on that. But it needs to be done in a safe way and manner. And we shouldn't force it if the if the virus is not cooperating and the and the the, the opportunity for spread is too great at that time. We should wait until it's the appropriate time and we don't want to take a chance. And I'm not going to sit around and debate whether children can spread or not. I, I can't risk that with the staff who has children too. Sure. Yep. And so we want to make sure they have the right PPE supplies and the right procedures in place and it is safe to attempt to try to have school and then monitor that carefully. Just like in teaching, there's a gradual release as students are learning. And I think just in in dealing with this pandemic, it's gonna be a gradual increase in in in-person instruction. You have to be just very, very careful with that because we don't want to have a negative impact on the staff, or on the students, and on the families that are connected to both of those groups.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you said at the very beginning of that, you know, we, we can't plan around this virus and create some kind of calendar that's just complete. I mean, that the virus doesn't care about that. And it, again, it, 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 it goes to that idea of being flexible, and being able to, uh, to pivot. So last question for you, Dr. Johnson, you uh, have a difficult job right now, I wanna acknowledge and recognize that, but I know you're someone who's really passionate about education, you've been doing it for a long time um where are you getting your inspiration from right now what's keeping you going
0: well that statue behind me for one it keeps me i I love this country and i have confidence in this country you know i was looking at some pictures the other day Stephen, where uh back when i was in the second grade here's some things that was going on in the world at that time the cuban missile crisis i remember one of my teachers slash principals walked in the hallways, carrying a firearm to prepare in case we came under attack. I remember us practicing, lining up in the hallways, bending over, covering our heads as if we were doing a tornado drill in case there were bombs being dropped. And on top of that, in this time, and I don't want to date myself, there was a problem with a virus called measles. It was spreading across the land. And people were worried to death. I remember getting the shot that stayed on my arm for so long when I finally got that vaccine. And we had and we got through that. We got through that time and we turned out okay. And so I want these students, I want to, I'm not going to walk around a gun, but I want these students to know that we're going to protect them. We're going to support them, we to support the families to make sure they get through this crisis just like we got through our crisis. And it took loving and caring teachers and principals and administrators and supportive parents and community to make that happen. And we owe that to our children right now. We owe them that. Their world has been turned upside down. I have family too, and they're just not being able to go to school. As much as kids complain about school, they really do miss it. And we want to get it back for them as soon as we can so they can have that normal development that we had. But I want them to know that we all have had to go through certain challenges in our lives. And I went through them during that time, and I was a second grader then. And others have gone through it at different times in their life. You know, the the thing I've been saying a lot lately, if we work together, diversity conquers adversity. We just need to work together to conquer this adversity. I think that's a great way
1: to end this first uh, conversation uh, on the In This Together series with you, Dr. Johnson. I wanna thank you so much for your perspective. Um, wish you really good luck in the next couple of weeks as you begin what will be an interesting school year. And I'm looking forward to catching up with you on the on the next edition here when you will have started uh, and we'll find out more then about sort of how things are going. But um, thank you so much for your perspective, uh, your passion and the work that you do. Well,
0: thank you for allowing me to be a part of this project and. I look forward to this with you all in the future.